Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Deline Jacobides is the founder of Mazzy Wealth. She spent the last decade specializing in retirement, financial planning, and superannuation funds. However, after posting financial content on social media, she found that there was a demand for financial advice among the wealth builders, which is how Mazzy Wealth, her company, was born. She volunteers at Griffith University in Queensland University of Technology, helping students look to enter the financial services industry. She's also serving as the treasurer for the Queensland Women in Super Committee. Her mission is to build financial confidence for her clients. If you've ever wondered why financial advisors cost so much and when you should go see one, then keep listening. We are so excited to have Deline on the show today. We're very excited to have Deline on the show. But before we get started, let's share our money wins and losses of the week. Tash, what's yours? Um, I bought these really cool pants two weeks ago and I love them so much. And I really wanted to buy them in other colors. And I was waiting to see if they went on sale with Afterpay Day. And they did. They were 30% off. But then they also had a code for 20% extra off the sale things. So they went from 130 to like $71. So I'm very excited. Big money win. That's such a good one. That's huge. Mm. Yeah. Did you use Afterpay? No, no. You can just get the sale without using Afterpay. So it's for Afterpay Day, but I didn't use Afterpay. Yeah. yeah. And where did you get the code from? I just Googled like extra, like say, like whenever I buy something, I'm always like, oh, like Big W code or Target code. And this is from Nude Lucy. So I just Googled Nude Lucy code and it popped up and it worked. So big win. Yeah. I sometimes use Honey because that's a yeah, really good one that will throw up codes as well. So if you haven't used Honey, I use it as a web extender or a browser 
extension, I meant to say. Yeah. Delene, what about you? I feel like mine's really boring in comparison. Uh, but yesterday we, it was a public holiday in Brisbane for the show day. And we took the kids to a bowls club, um, which is often a pretty parent or family friendly activity to do. And we only spent $20 on like food and drinks. So I thought that's that was cheap. pretty good because normally it can get quite out of control, especially when there's like games and rides and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I guess it was cheap because my kids weren't in the best mood. And so we left pretty early as well. So I don't know if that's a money win or not. <laughs> Still a money win. I yeah. feel like at those places, like you can get chips for $15 sometimes. So food and drinks for 20 is still very impressive. That's true. There was, um, the chips were like $6. So. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah. cheap. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Family outings are so expensive. I think um, I was excited when I found out the Bunnings does free things on the weekends. <laughs> I was like, what yes. was yours the other week, Anna? The train? Oh, yeah, the train. I spent $4 to go like to the local train ride with my kids. It was like $4 a ticket. That's awesome. Amazing. Run by volunteers. It's fantastic. So any little family wins because it adds up, right? Every yeah. weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your um, one, Anna? Yeah, my, my money win is just pure pleasure. It was hanging out with the RASC crew before an event. We just went for some food, had some coffee. And, you know, you know, sometimes you feel bad spending money on like going out to eat if you don't feel like eating, but it was just good company. I was happy to spend the money. It just felt like a win. Great conversation. I love that. I love those moments where you're like, that was good. Money well spent eating out with good people. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Nothing worse when you go out and then the food's like average or like you're just not feeling it. It feels like such a waste. Mm. Yeah, yeah exactly. especially when you spent like money on an Uber or something to get there as well. And you're just like, oh no. Yeah. It was definitely a smile for that money spent, but let's kick it off. Uh, Deline, you've mentioned that you get this question a lot. So I figured I would ask it as our first question. What is the difference between a financial advisor and a financial planner? Yeah. In Australia, there's literally no difference. They're both used interchangeably and they're both enshrined in legislation. Um, I don't know if there's any difference in you know, countries like America, but in Australia, it's literally the same thing. I think that when they were putting together like new legislation, there's, there was two different associations. There was association of financial advisors and then the financial planning association. And I think they just couldn't agree on what the main term was going to be. So they just decided to enshrine both in law, but there's literally no difference. And what's your preferred term? I use both as well. So I don't <laughs> have a preference. Both come out of my mouth naturally. And the difference between a financial counselor and a financial coach? Yeah. So financial advisors have been around for a while, although their role has kind of developed and changed over time. Whereas financial coaches, I think, are a bit more of a newer type of um, role or, you know, position in Australia. I think in, you know, America and things like that, they're a bit more common. Uh, But essentially, a key difference between them is that financial advisors can give strategic and product financial advice. Um, So the way we do that is we sit down with a client and help work out what their goals are, whether they're financial or non-financial or lifestyle goals, because even if you're talking about lifestyle goals, you often still need money to be able to make those goals a reality. Um, So we work out the goals and then we give advice around things like cash flow and budgeting, investing, debt management, um, risk management, like insurances, 
superannuation and retirement planning, estate planning. So it can be quite comprehensive. Um, whereas a financial coach, they can't give any sort of product or strategy advice. So they can't say to somebody that they should go salary sacrifice into super or invest in XYZ ETF. Um, so they can't give that sort of advice. And their focus is really on education and empowerment and helping um, keep their clients accountable more around the budgeting and savings type of advice. What are your typical clients who come and see you for financial plan? Do you have a typical client or a typical age? Yeah. So I've been an advisor for about 10 years now. And up until the last couple of years, I had worked in businesses that really focused on retirement advice and high net wealth clients. That is more the traditional space. And that's because I guess financial advice costs so much to get. So those are the people that can typically afford to have a financial advisor. But about three years ago, I did start um, my Instagram account, started posting some financial content and started getting a lot of people asking me like, how can I work with you? But they didn't really suit those business models. So that's how I started my business, Muzzy Wealth. And uh, so typically my clients are in their 30s and 40s and a lot of them are time poor families and, um, you know, they've got busy lives with their occupations. A lot of them are professional type occupations. Um, but yeah, when they get to the end of the evening, they just don't have time to be thinking about their money and their finances. So a lot of my clients are looking for strategic advice to kind of set up all their foundations um, and they just want low, low maintenance, like low cost type of investments. They just want to be told where to put their money, like how to split their money up into different buckets to help them achieve all their goals, which could be around education funding, uh, you know, growing their family, upgrading home, renovating buying other investments like property or ETFs and things like that. And then obviously financial independence and early retirement is obviously a big one for a lot of people too. So it's around, uh, you know, giving that real comprehensive advice. But yeah, typically in their 30s and 40s and usually have strong incomes and therefore strong surplus incomes. That's typically the clients I'm looking after the last few years now. Mm -hmm. What kind of triggers people to go and see a financial advisor or what things could you kind of have sorted before you go and see one? Yeah, I think there can be a lot of different types of triggers. So a big one that happens is what I call the three D's, which is not nice, but it's death, divorce, and disability. So often that can be a trigger for people to come get advice. They get a windfall of some sort or a lump sum of money. So like it might be an inheritance or a financial separation um, settlement or disability payout. And they want advice on how to, what to do with that money as to whether they get pay off debt, invest it, buy a property, whatever that is. Um, but there could be other reasons people get a lump sum payout. It could be around like a redundancy as well, or it could be common for people to seek advice at retirement, as um, I mentioned earlier. And also if they're like exiting a business, that could be another common reason. Uh, but I think these days it is becoming more common for people to seek advice when they want help setting up their foundations. And particularly when people are looking to start a family or have already got a family because they're now realizing like it's not just them that they're having to look after, that they've got dependents. So that's when they're really like wanting to make sure that they've got everything structured correctly. They've got a plan B in place in terms of personal insurances and protection, estate planning's in order, and then just making sure that they're like investing in the right way so that they're not building up big portfolios that have 
potentially structured incorrectly and then it ends up costing a lot of money to like unwind it and to set it up um, in the more tax effective manner. So I think that is becoming a more common trigger as well for people to start seeking advice at a younger age rather than just waiting till retirement. Yeah, it's really interesting about how it costs so much to go back and set it up properly. Like I know a lot of people don't seek advice because it is quite expensive. So it's kind of like the optimal time to seek advice with yeah. the like considering it might be up to eight grand, but also you don't want to set up your future too wrong where you have to go and change it later on. Yeah, hundred percent. When is like the optimal time, I guess, to kind of make that that trade off, I guess, between the cost and the maybe the benefit? Well, I definitely think people need to have their like some financial security behind them. So already having an emergency fund, um, ideally out of consumer debt, like they would be great starting points. Um, often people will have already bought their first home and are now looking to go where like where's next? What what do I do next? Um, but not always. I do often have people coming to get advice before they've bought their first home. So for example, I had a couple recently where they had a few hundred thousand dollars invested in shares and ETFs and they wanted help on like how much do they sell down? How do they do that in a tax effective way to make sure that when they bought their first home that they were doing that in the right way and smartly and also wanting to get advice on like what is the maximum amount they could purchase their property for without uh, losing out on some of their other goals, such as reducing work for starting a family and working part-time and things like that. So um, there's not really an optimum time, but it is ideal if you have got some of those foundational pieces sorted first. Um, and I think it's kind of a bit like when you, if you were to see a personal trainer or a nutritionist, like you could benefit from seeing them at any point in your life. Um, so it's just around whether like you're ready to spend the money to be able to seek the rewards, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to that point, you you feel ready, you're, you're going to go find a financial advisor. How do you find one? Yeah, there's a few different ways that you can do this. Um, I think a good way is asking your friends as a starting point if any of them have a financial advisor because often you'll be in the same sort of life stage. So you'll be able to find an advisor that's been able to help someone similar to you. A lot of people do ask their family, but the risk with that is I have had a number of clients come and find me because they've had an advisor in the past, but it was their parents' advisor and maybe their parents' advisor has been more focused on like get retirement planning and, you know, managing the drawdown of assets rather than accumulating assets, which is very different strategies and very different conversations um, to be having. So you can always ask family, but it's not always going to be the best way. Um, then there's like just Google search and a lot of advisors will allow a, an introductory call or sometimes even an introductory meeting so that you can get to know each other a little bit better and make sure that you feel comfortable with each other. Because I think it is really important you find an advisor that you vibe with because you are going to be telling them a lot about like your dreams and aspirations and, you know, sharing those skeletons in the closet and things like that. And less traditionally, um, there's a lot of, I find a lot of my clients are coming from social media. So about 65, 75% of my, 65 to 70%, I would say of my clients are coming from social media, mainly from Instagram. Um, and I think that's because they've been able to like follow me for a while, get to know me and, um, 
you know, like my vibe and what I'm all about and then um, feel comfortable to take that next step. So, yeah, there's a number of different ways. There's also a great website called Advisor Ratings where you can go and see if an advisor has a profile set up and if there's any like testimonials and if they've been rated by other clients. Um, I think that's also a good starting point. Before you see any advisor though, I would recommend making sure they are licensed and you can do that by going to the ASIC Money Smart website. There's a financial advisor register on there so you can see that they are licensed to give advice and you can see what their qualifications, experience is, if they've got any like black marks against their name, um, if they've you know had any disqualifications or bans or anything like that. So it gives you a good snapshot summary uh, just to make sure they are licensed so that if anything does happen, you are protected as a consumer. Those are such great tips. And it's really important because as I've learned, financial advisors sometimes specialize in specific areas. And there are people who just work with retirees and that might not be ideal for you if you're buying your new home and starting a family. And um, and like you said, you want to make sure that they're licensed. What kind of questions are important to ask when you're looking for the right fit of an advisor? Yeah, I think there's a few questions you can ask. Um, firstly, asking like, what is your typical client and who do you typically look after? I think that's a really good insight to understand if you're going to be the right fit. Um, you can also ask them about like their experience and just, you know, those questions can kind of open up the conversation just so you can see if they're somebody you want to work with. Uh, I think another important question is asking about their approved product list. So um, many people won't know what that means, but essentially financial advisors, have a list of different products they can recommend. And so some advisors might have quite a limited approved product list. So they might only be able to recommend a couple of different super funds or investment products or insurances um, as some examples. And then there are some advisors that might have a very broad APL or approved product list. And um, I think that can help the client feel like that there is more options and they're not just being like forced to buy a Toyota if you're going to a Toyota dealership. Uh, (laughs) That can be important to some people, but also understanding like what is it that you want as a client or a consumer in terms of things like investments? You know, do you want to have a direct share portfolio that you want advice on or do you you prefer ETFs? And I think it's really important to understand the advisor's like investment philosophy and also insurance philosophy if you're getting advice on that. So it's important to know what you want to get out of the process so that when you go to the advisor, just to make sure that they're going to be able to meet your expectations um, because there's no point going to an advisor to get advice on a direct share portfolio if they're not licensed to give advice on direct shares as an example. So I think they're kind of the main things to ask Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And consider before seeing an advisor. I only realized quite recently when I was going through the process of getting licensed that advisors aren't all licensed the same and that like yeah. some can give advice on margin loans, but some can't and the same about direct shares as well. And the approved product listing was very interesting too, because you don't really hear that talked about too much. And then the same with mortgage brokers as well. And the lenders panel they have and which mortgages and banks that they can work with, like that's quite limited too as well. So that's a really good point. Yeah. hundred percent. How complex, right? Like as someone, as someone who doesn't know anything, you know, if you're going in, you're looking for an advisor, how do you navigate that? It, it seems so complex. And then on top of that, how much does it cost, right? Like it, it's not cheap to see a financial advisor. Can you talk a little bit about the different fee structures? Yeah. Um, just going back to like the approved product list. So I think that's even really complex for advisors because when we're choosing who we want to be licensed through, because some people will go get self-licensed and then myself, I personally didn't want to have that sort of um, situation right now. My business is only a year and a half old. I wanted to be licensed, use somebody else's license so that I had extra support when it was dealing with ASIC and things like that, extra compliance. Just the compliance burden is huge yeah yeah (laughs) so I chose to be licensed through someone else and like it's around making sure you've got the right fix if you've got a vision in your mind as an advisor on how you want to run your business but then your licensee doesn't allow that because they don't let you advise on certain products or certain strategies or whatever it is Um, so in the last year I've had to go and get some extra certificates essentially because they're things that I've advised on in the past but then because I've changed license a few years ago they now wanted to see like updated certificates and qualifications so last year was quite a big one for me having to like do all that extra study just to like tick that box essentially so my licensee would allow me to continue to give advice on certain areas Yeah, I found that so interesting how it's like the education stuff is a lot of it's up to the licensee and not actually just like a standard thing for everyone, which is very interesting. Yeah, it's a complete minefield. Um, And yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's why like it does cost so much. Um, So in terms of fee structures, there's so many different ways that advisors still charge for advice. It's not a standard way. So in terms of like fee for service versus commission. So first of all, want to clear up that there is no such thing as receiving a commission from an investment or insurance product anymore that has been banned and finished up many years ago. It's still a misconception I see out there on like different forums and Facebook groups. So just want to clear that up to start with. So if you are looking for investment advice, it is a fee for service, but that fee will depend, like it could be a flat fee uh, or a fixed fee, or it could be a percentage based on how much assets you've got. Typically, what I find is a lot of stockbroker type of investment advisors will be still charging that percentage base, but then advisors like myself who are more strategic in nature and looking at more comprehensive advice, not just the investments, we will typically charge a flat fee or a fixed fee. Um, and in terms of those fixed fees, again, they can differ substantially across different businesses. So some advisors might charge a fee for 
getting a statement of advice. So in the, the process, you've got to have a discovery process to kind of learn about the client, understand what their goals and objectives are, understand where they are now and where they want to get to. Um, so that's a discovery phase. And then um, you go away and put together like different strategies and al- alternative options, look at different products, and then present a statement of advice to show the client how they can meet those goals and objectives and what products to use to get there. So that can be one fee. And then some advisors might charge a separate fee to actually implement the advice. And then there may be a different fee for ongoing advice, depending on the arrangement. So I think that's really important when you are speaking with an advisor is understanding what their fee structure is. Is there a separate fee to implement or is it included in like that statement of advice fee? Some advisors will just put you straight onto an ongoing fee from day one and that's a monthly fee whereas other advisors will charge for like the initial phase and then if you want to go on an ongoing arrangement you can pay a monthly fee after that and what that covers is like an annual review as a minimum to check that you're still on track for that initial plan or if there has been any changes to your goals and circumstances or any changes to legislation that the advice is updated accordingly also uh, takes into account like any sort of contact you might have throughout the year with the advisor so if you've got questions um, or concerns you can usually call the advisor and that's inclusive in that kind of ongoing fee so that's a little bit about like the investment advice and then strategy type of advice and then just to touch on insurances uh, a lot of advisors still do receive a commission for insurances which is understandable because nobody wants to actually like pay a fee for insurance and then to get the advice and then have to pay premiums on top of that so they often still receive advisors often still receive a commission for insurance advice too what is the ballpark that you could be expected to pay like if i if i'm i want to go see a financial advisor it's my first one i just want like once, one off, what could I expect to pay? Yeah. So advisor ratings does do some research every year to ask different advisors, like, what are you charging to kind of get an idea? And so the median at the moment is about $4,000. In my opinion, $4,000 would be considered more like scaled advice or scoped advice. If you're looking for more comprehensive advice, you're probably above that $4,000. Can you just explain what scaled and scoped advice is? Yeah. So scaled or scoped advice is where you're maybe looking on advice on a couple of areas rather than everything on your situation. Comprehensive advice would be covering like almost everything in your situation. So it could be covering like tax strategies and um, entity structures, estate planning, your super and non-super investments. It could be around whether you buy an investment property, which is not actually a financial product, but you still might need strategic advice around that. You know, debt management strategies, like it could cover a whole range of things. Whereas if you're getting like like scoped advice, you might just be wanting advice on your insurance and super only, or like just setting up your first investment portfolio or something like that. So that's kind of the difference. Um, so if you are looking for that more comprehensive advice, you're probably um, over that median value of $4,000. 
And it really does depend on, yeah, the complexity of your situation. If you're a single or a couple, because like I know I personally have different pricing for singles and couples because I don't think it's fair that a single person has to pay the same amount as a couple. <laughs> um, where you got one super fund or one investment portfolio to look after, not, you know, two. Yeah, so that's the research out there. And then that research also does say that some advisors are charging like up to $13,000, which I think is actually quite low because I do know of other advisors that are charging well above 13000 But there's also a lot of advisors like myself that are, you know, much less than 13000 So it's just around finding an advisor that, yeah, matches your needs and, and gives advice on what you you are looking for. I guess that fee can get quite high as well if it's a percentage-based fee for those retirees who have millions of dollars in investments, for example. Yeah, 100%. I've seen much higher than 13,000 in the past. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Or it can be really expensive for someone who's starting out, right? And just wants to get get their kind of life set up but, and want, want to make sure that they do it in the right way. Why does it cost so much? Yeah, there's um, a lot of reasons. Um, but essentially to be licensed to give advice, uh, to go through a, uh, like a licensee or even if you're self-licensed, the research that came out last year was that it was on average about $40,000 to be licensed to give advice. Mm-hmm. Um, every but, year. Yeah, every year. and That's um, huge. That's mm-hmm. like some people are paying like up to $100,000 just for their licensee costs. And that's not including the ASIC registration. It's not including if you've got rent to pay, if you've got an office space. Um, it's not including employee staffing costs, which can cost a lot as well, like power planning. It doesn't include your software. So like my software is costing tens of thousands of dollars each year really? as well. Really? For software? Yeah. Wow. And um, especially when you've got more than one employee as well, you've or like another employee or more because you've got to have separate logins to everybody, which yeah, costs yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, a security reason That's how they that. get you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, as a, an advisor, like they're looking at a minimum of six figures just to open up their doors um, as an advisor before they're even – and having to make that money before they're even able to put like food on their table. So that's why it does cost so much. And it has increased dramatically in the last five years. Um, And it also hasn't helped that there has been like so many advisors leave the industry. So we've got a shrinking advisor pool, which means that with software costs, (laughs) if I'm being honest, they've got less advisors to sell their software to. Mm. So their fees have gone up substantially. Like I think mine went up 10% in the last year. So it's, yeah, it's a why are advisors leaving? Um, because there yeah. is so much. I wonder why. Yeah, there yeah. is so much. Like, just clarifying, just clarifying yeah. if there's any, anything else that, you know, uh, plays into it. I mean, money's a big one. It costs a lot. Yeah. It's like, there is just, it takes so long to provide advice to somebody. And, uh, it just means that it's not really becoming profitable for a lot of advisors. So that's why they've just kind of had enough with all the regulation. And like, I totally understand we needed to have the regulation pick up and 
minimum education standards and things like that. So we did need to have that happen, but it's kind of gone to the other extreme now. And so many advisors, like they're just better off going and getting another, another job if they're not charging appropriately because, you know, they've also got families to feed and mortgages to pay. Uh, so that is why a lot of advisors have chosen to leave the industry because it's, it's just, um, it is a tough time at the moment. Mm, and I know they changed the education requirements kind of recently as well. What are the particular qualifications that financial advisors now need? Yeah, so a few years ago, or many years ago, you didn't really need to have any sort of qualification to be a financial advisor, but some advisors would have like a diploma in financial planning. Have you done that before, Tash? Like, have you? No, no. Okay. I've done like the RG146 Kaplan one, okay. and I've done the Cert 4 in mortgage broking. And I feel like it's kind of similar. Yeah. I guess where you just go through the PDF and then it's like, here's your certificate. Yeah. Like there's a pretty basic e- exam um, yeah. that you can do from home kind of thing. So it's all multiple choice. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, like, again, I'm happy to see that the education standards have increased, uh, but that's what it used to be. Nowadays, you have to have a relevant degree and you have to have completed like an ethics subject and an, a national exam. So every advisor in Australia has to sit this big four-hour exam that is short answer questions as well as multiple okay, choice. multiple choice. Okay. <laughs> but the That's multiple better. choice are even harder, I reckon, because ah, it's like okay. pick the most appropriate answer. And I was reading ah. an article the other day where Noel Whittaker um, made a comment where he was saying that one of the questions is like, it might have been what is the most risky asset class and in his opinion cash is because it's going backwards in terms of real dollars with inflation but that would not be the answer that the regulator is looking for so Mm -hmm. it's really around like what do you think the uh, correct answer what do they want yeah rather than what is the like it's all perspective isn't it yeah so yeah we've got to have that exam done um have minimum qualifications um and there's also these days to be an advisor you have to have done a professional year so existing advisors if they were an advisor before a certain point in time they don't need to do this but for any new entrances they need to be supervised for a year and do a professional year similar to like an accountant where you are mentored and um you get signed off by an experienced advisor and there's different steps you need to take in and minimum hours you need to work in that professional year before you can get signed off. So there is a lot more steps these days and that is also part of the reason why there is a shrinking advisor pool because as well as advisors struggling to put food on their own tables because of the increased costs, like unless the advisor is passing that cost on to their clients, um, you know, they're they're losing, they're they're going backwards in terms of their salaries. Uh, But then also to take on new professional year entrants, that is a huge like commitment from the advisor to have to supervise someone, mentor them, uh, train them, sign them off. It's a huge expense and time commitment as well. Are people paid during their professional year or is it kind of like an unpaid placement? No, they're paid for the year. Okay. Yeah, but um, it would obviously be not at a full advisor salary because they're still like a trainee, but yeah. uh, I would imagine they would still be paid 
quite well for like that grad type position. Yeah. It's so interesting comparing it to like, I studied occupational therapy and you have to do a thousand hours of unpaid placements, like comparing <sighs> the differences is quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like tacked that on blows to the end my of your mind. degree. Unpaid yeah. work. Yeah. It's a whole other big discussion because it really <laughs> limits the people who can study those degrees. So it's good that financial advisors are getting paid for that year. Yeah. So you have to have a degree before you get to that point, but yeah. uh, at least once they're doing, once they are doing those hours, they are getting paid for that. Yeah. It's a really complex system and there's no like easy solution, but do you have any ideas on how the industry can kind of be improved and how advice can be more accessible maybe? Yeah, there's the quality of advice review that's out at the moment and there's a number of suggestions or recommendations that have come out of that. So one of them is around allowing superannuation funds, um, for example, to be able to provide more comprehensive advice and uh, to be able to charge from the membership fee to cover the advisor salaries to do that. It kind of feels like we're going back in time because that was happening before the Royal Commission. And that's why a lot of banks had closed and sold down their wealth uh, arms and, and their financial planning arms. It kind of feels like we're going back that way. And in a way, it feels like it's going to be a bit more complex, that system, because they're now saying there'll be like two types of advisors. There will be the advisors like myself, who are already fully qualified and licensed a particular way. But then there'll be another type of advisor who can give like scoped, more scoped advice. Um, like I can still do scoped advice, but it just doesn't make as much financial sense for me to do that because of my costs. So there is that suggestion. There's also been a suggestion around removing statements of advice. Um, I'm not sure whether that's going to make a huge difference because you still have to have recorded in your like file notes and your system that you've done all the work that leads up to producing a statement of advice. So you still have to show that you've looked at the alternatives and compared different products and, you know, done all these different things. So if you've done all that, like, why wouldn't you just give it to the client? So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure that's going to actually solve anything, but I am curious to see how this works. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the answer is to be honest, but it's, it's very complex. Yeah. What would you like to see? Like, do you have an idea of what you would like to see? Well, I mean, when you go to see a doctor, like you see a doctor or a GP, they're not giving you a letter every time, you know, or, you know, they, they might just see you for a meeting, an appointment and then give you a recommendation and then record a file note. By the way, like our file notes, they take me like 30 to 60 minutes after I've finished a meeting. Like it's not a quick, you know, five minute thing. It's not something I can just do like while I'm talking to a client. So it, it does still take a lot of time even afterwards to wrap up a meeting. So yeah, I would like to see, I guess, just like the cost come down in general. I just don't know how we're going to get there. That's really interesting. The comparison with the doctor actually, because there's kind of the responsibility on the person to like tell the doctor everything they need to tell them and then take that advice and go away. But with advisors, it's like the responsibility is put on the advisor to know everything and make sure they're not kind of being misleading, I guess, which is great. But it's interesting how like you can go see a doctor and it's fine. With a financial advisor, you need to go through the whole process. I think there needs to be somewhere in between. Yeah. Because like sometimes when I go see a doctor, I think, well, I didn't know to ask that question. I didn't know that they needed to know that information. So I think it needs to be somewhere in between that uh, the advisor does need to ask the right questions, but do we need to know like every little detail? Not sure. And then there's the level of like, if you're not at the spot where you can pay for a financial advisor, where do you get your 
your financial literacy? Where do you learn about what questions to ask? Like you said, you know, I didn't know to ask that question at the doctor. I didn't know to ask that question at the financial advisor because I, you know, if you don't have that level of financial literacy and what, what is the in-between, right? It's, it's, um, and that's why I love things like podcasts, like this one, for example, I love when people have said they've read barefoot investor. Like I love when people say they've done all these different things because it means they're in a better position for me to be able to help them. So like many years ago, you know, I would spend the time with people to like educate them and, and you know, spend the time and, and go through the like basics. But these days, like I just can't afford to do that. So I really need somebody to come to me with a basic level of financial literacy before I can help them because um, it already takes me like minimum 20 hours just to like put together a statement of advice and help someone implement it. And so you can imagine like if you're having to go through the basics, like how much that would extend out as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This has been a really interesting conversation so far. Um, if people want to learn more about you or reach out to you for advice, where can they find you? Yeah, my main social media platforms where people often will start to follow me and learn about me is Instagram at Muzzy Wealth, M-A-Z-I Wealth, and LinkedIn just under my name, Delene Jacobides. They're probably the two main um, social media platforms I use. Keep it pretty simple. <laughs> um, and then I've obviously got my website where you can send me an email or book in for an introductory call if you think you might want to get some advice and learn about whether I'm the right fit for you or whether I can help you. I found your Instagram super helpful. I think you did a post recently about super breaking that down in a really simple way. So everyone go follow Delene. It's very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks thanks. for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please rate us five stars, write a review, or share with a friend. If you're new to investing, make sure to listen to our first 10 episodes. Follow us at Get Rich Slow Club or Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Edgman, who is an authorized representative. 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420-367, and Perla, who is an authorised representative, 128-1540, of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337-927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing, so make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.